My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam- for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be good all time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Well, well, well. <laughs> don't quite don't quite know how to start this one. We're watching um, silent visions of uh, Russians celebrating en masse. Uh, of course, Russia managed to make it to penalties against Spain, who we must say didn't look as threatening as they could have throughout the game. Um, however, let's not do a disservice to uh, Russia's performance. No misses when they made it to penalties. Um, and of course, Spain managed to miss two. The first, remind me, was missed by Coque, I think. Mm. And Iago Aspas, the last one. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, you know, you, you said the smart money would be on Russia. You predicted Russia would, would win in 90 minutes, which they didn't. So none of us get the point for that game, as it happens. Just clear that out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, however, I wasn't really expecting Russia to make it to the quarterfinals. I hoped they would, because I thought it would be funny. It definitely is funny. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, it's, it is nice as well. It's obviously, you know, the, the home nation, uh, they have very passionate, vociferous support. And uh, also, I really like how their coach looks. I can't remember, Stanislav? Stanislav. Churchill. He looks great. He's got a great. He's got. He's got a great face image going on. Did you hear? See how he celebrated it? No, I didn't. It was minimal. Was it? It was literally. <laughs> facial expression didn't change, and it was two fists in the air, and that was kind That's of. It. It. That's it. Yeah. The I, I liked him. Streaming on the pitch, and he was just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how uh, he looked away for the Zuba penalty as well during during the ninety minutes. I thought that was quite. Nice. Well, maybe that's a suggestion. That his plan is to win the World Cup. There's no celebrating yet because they're only in the quarterfinals. They've got big. They've got big plans. Alex, we should probably talk about Spain a little bit. They never quite looked themselves uh, throughout the tournament. Uh, they're they're a far cry really from the Spain we saw in 2008-2010 period. Um, but you would have thought, on balance, they had the quality in terms of players and experience to make it through a game like this. What went wrong for them? Because they didn't look threatening, despite having an awful lot of the ball, and particularly in that last 20 minutes of of the 90, and also throughout extra time, they very rarely looked like scoring. Well, Russia defended very deep. Um, They had a a 5-3-2, which occasionally looked like a 3-4-3 when Russia had possession, uh, with Samadov pushing up and out onto the right-hand side, Golovin playing sort of wide left, but also coming in behind uh, Zuba. That allowed Russia to create two thick banks of four, uh, sorry, of five and four, um, with Zuba uh, as a lone frontman, a job that he excels at because he's so good at taking the ball when it's pinged long to him. What that meant was, as Russia's midfield four retreated closer and closer to their defensive five, it meant that Spain struggled to find the little pockets of space in between the lines that they like to create yeah. their kind of pass and move triangles in. We saw Iniesta make a few very incisive, uh, excellent passes towards the end of the, the, the game, but he wasn't 
you know, he was brought on as a substitute in the second half. Yeah, well, they went, I think, for Koke in midfield because of the additional height, um, right. Russia's threat from set pieces. Ramos and PK have not looked. So we've said, I've said consistently through the tournament that they're not having a good one. Mm. Uh, PK gave away the penalty that uh, for Zuba's equaliser um, in normal time. Uh, Koke adds a bit more strength and a bit more height in that midfield area alongside Busquets. Um, but I think what that did was it, it it robbed them of a kind of line-breaking player. You had, I suppose, three players behind Diego Costa in the starting formation, all of whom are very good tidy passers of the ball, but all of whom really look to do the same sort of thing. Yeah. which is drop into space, collect the ball, turn and run it a little bit, look to lay it off. And there were quite a number of times when Esco did that but didn't get the return pass, whether that was from Carvajal on the outside right-hand uh, side or perhaps off the midfield. You know, Esco was looking very busy, but the end product wasn't coming from it. I thought Spain looked a lot better once Aspas and Rodrigo were on. They yeah. had more of a threat carrying the ball forwards. So they were a bit more dynamic. But yeah, it was um, it was an inability to have the, the the speed of thought and speed of foot to get through that very very thick Russian defensive line. And this is another example in this tournament of a team with ample attacking talent, with um, a reputation for playing possession based attacking football, lots of incisive little passes, being unable to break down a team playing as you said with two big, strong defensive lines of, of, of four, or in this case, four and five. That seems to be a little bit of a theme of this tournament, and you could extrapolate that to say, with the success of teams in recent years, like Burnley this season, Leicester a couple of years ago, that, that you, know, you might be able to stretch that theme further back. Is that fair to say, or is this, again, uh, a Spain side that aren't up to par, that you know, on their day should have, should have won this game easily? I don't know if they should have won this game easily. Uh, I mean, we expected Russia to line up differently, um, and uh, Churchisov gets a lot of points for um, making changes to, to frustrate Spain. Yeah. You know, there was some comments by the pundits during the match that you know it's it's not what we want to see, but it works. I mean, I I don't think Russia should give one iota of a shit about what looks pretty if it works. If, if their setup um, was a surprise to us, do you think it might have been a, a bit of a surprise to, to, to Spain as well, given that it's the first time they've... Yeah, that's that's possibly true. Um, I mean, we, you know, there seem to be, like you say, there's a theme of, of these big sides underperforming. One of the reasons is that there's an issue of adaptation over eras. So... Germany, for example, were still picking players, I think, a little bit on reputation rather than on form. I think that particularly applies to Cadera. You could say the same about Argentina with players like Mascherano. You could say the same potentially with, with Spain in terms of, you know, Odrizola, one of the most exciting uh, attacking right-backs in world football, doesn't get a look in for Spain. Despite the fact that Carvajal was injured for a long time before the tournament yeah. began, and, and Nacho, his beautiful goal aside, yeah. struggled in his game when he started as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think Iero deserves, I guess, credit for coming in and handling that situation with Lopetegui leaving, 
with grace and doing a reasonable job. But yeah. I think Iero's problem was that he left it too late to make the changes that could have forced that result. Yeah. Um, I think that Spain possibly... Some of the selections, uh, I, I don't think Koke worked in this game. I well, I was going to ask you about him specifically. Yeah, you mentioned that perhaps for the additional height, also the Russian team generally is, is, is quite big and there can be a threat from set pieces either end of the pitch. I wondered if maybe that was too much of a reactive uh, decision uh, based on that, trying to trying to negate uh, a particular strength of the Russian side rather than saying, look, we've got Iniesta. He did make a difference when he came on. Of course, he, you know, he's, he's on the wrong side of 30 now and maybe he needed a bit of a, a rest. Perhaps they thought this was the game to do that in. However, um, is there not an argument to say that that didn't work and you, you need more creativity from that central midfield area? Yes, I think that's, I think that's true. And I think if Spain had gone with more of a 4-3-3 with Busquets acting as the sort of screening midfielder and two more attacking players ahead of him, mm. uh, I suspect the result would have been different because when... I mean, it's it's sort of a slightly chicken and egg situation, but you, you make a change to uh, compensate for some of the physicality of the opposition. You then find that the opposition are... Which, which you can do without really knowing the lineup. Um but then you find the opposition have also changed mm. their formation, in which case you're then looking at a situation where you've brought in, perhaps, a, I mean, Koke's not a defensive midfielder by any stretch of the imagination, but a, a, a midfielder with a more solid playing style, mm. only to find that you're actually coming up against two really deep defensive banks. Mm. And it's, it's a situation where there wasn't an adaptation, I think, quickly enough by Hiero. And... To be fair, that's sort of been, again, the issue of managers who have... I mean, OK, Sampali's the opposite end of the spectrum where he's made changes every five minutes. Mm. But I think with uh, Love and Hierro, probably for different reasons because of Hierro's situation, they've been loath to, to take games by the scruff of the neck, make changes early on, mm. and... Some of the yeah, coaches, yeah, some of the coaches that have really impressed me, um, and I'm thinking here of people like um, Cisse, uh They've 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 reacted, perhaps not during games, but certainly after a game's happened, they've seen where there are weaknesses, and they've they've straight away, mm. you know, they've dropped a player or they've <clears> moved <throat> people around, and there's a very decisive kind of style of coaching, and I, I do wonder whether ego plays a part in that, where when you're you know, and I, I say this with no disrespect to Senegal, but I think it's probably a lot easier for Aliou Cisse to say to Senegal, right, this is what's happening. Mm. Here you go. This is the team sheet. This is what I expect you to do. Go and do it. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. Whereas with San Paoli, with the Aero, with Lerva, you know, he's dealing with players that have won lots and lots of stuff, that have mm. won international competitions. Try, try dropping uh, PK or uh, Boateng, for example. Right. And, and arguably, you know, PK should have been dropped. Mm. Bertang should have been dropped. Kadira should have been dropped. Mascherano. You know, there's there's a list of players who've really underperformed in this World Cup. Whereas, you know, some of the players that really stood out during the group stages, they're, yeah. they're not big household names at no, all. No. Well, in a way, it's, it's kind of exciting. And yesterday there was a lot of discussion about 
or the end of an era for Lionel Messi. We saw Cristiano Ronaldo uh, leaving the tournament as well. But taking a look at the bigger picture, Germany need to do something with their team now. Spain now need to do something with their team. And those are two huge European teams who've been very successful over the last decade or so, with players who've cropped up in you know one or two previous tournaments, uh, who've you know who are all sort of potentially past not all of not all of them of course but many of them are potentially past their peak playing years and perhaps the exciting thing that we can take from their early exits from this tournament is that in two years time at the Euros in four years time in Qatar uh, Spain and Germany will have completely different teams yeah that's definitely true but I think if you also look at an even bigger picture they'll be joining the ranks of Italy and Holland who didn't get there in the first place who are two teams that if they're not already, we'll certainly be soon in the process of just shaking things up a little bit mm. and essentially kind of finding their identity. So you're quite right, the next, next tournament we could have those two back to rude health as well as um, the Italians and the Dutch as well. Yeah, for sure. I think what's also worth noting is that of the big sides who've performed well, England's lost to Belgium aside, which I don't really count because I think all those changes were stupid. Um... <laughs> I like the idea that you don't, you don't think things that are stupid exist. <laughs> no, I, 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 no, I know. In what terms you're of substantiating my point, the, the the two biggest teams that have played really well are France and England, mm. and they're the two teams. You not include Belgium in that? Um, Bridging? Yeah, maybe. I know you. Yeah, we'll talk about Belgium in a couple of days. I, I, I know you did some weaknesses. Think, I still think have. Belgium have got too many flaws. Mm. But if you look at the five teams that we previewed with individual videos yeah. before the World Cup, I think Brazil have have stuttered a yeah. bit um, and haven't hit their stride properly yet. Moving into it potentially, possibly moving into it, which is why I think, given how things are sort of shaken out, they're still a good shout. Although I'm. I'm adding Uruguay in now, mm-hmm. just on the off. But of those, uh, England and France are the ones who are confident enough to stick an Mbappe on, or to play with people like Kane, Deli Ali, Jesse Lingard, Kieran Trippier. None of these are old guys, mm. you know. And there's there's a sprinkling of experience in those squads. Um, with France, you know, you've got Matuidi there. He's kind of an old stager. You've got Giroud likewise. But the rest of that squad is really young. Mm. Uh, Lloris too, of course. England, even even younger. And they're playing with a kind of a freedom and a, a freshness, um, particularly England tactically, that I think is really, really engaging. Mm. Whereas if you look at Spain and Germany, what they're doing is effectively the same as what they have both done in their most recent World Cup successes. Mm. You know, it's largely a 4-2-3-1, sort of a 4-3-3 at times. It's very possession-based. It's high full-backs. It's the same players. It's So maybe the key for their managers, whoever they will be going into their sport, it is, yeah, is to look at look at the younger players coming through. You mentioned for Spain there, Adria Zola. Yeah. Uh, of course, for Germany, there are plenty of plenty of names uh, that we could that we could list Sebastian Rudy Sebastian Rudy but look at the personnel and start to maybe change the philosophy and change the system around the players that they have coming through in the next generation well it's it to me it's bizarre that the Bundesliga has seen uh, probably two or three of the most inventive young coaches uh, of this past season uh, in Tedesco and Nagelsmann and Nico Kovac mm. 
uh, all of whom have played three at the back and and variations on a three five two, which is actually quite reminiscent of what England have done. Yeah, and yeah, particularly. Hoffenheim particularly, mm. yes, um, but also, uh, you know, Schalke and Frankfurt have, have have done things that you can see in how England are playing. Mm. Uh, Frankfurt's um, Hesebi obviously doing brilliantly for Japan mm. uh, as well. And and yet Germany as a, as a national side seem utterly wedded to a system that just got found out in this tournament. Yeah. And, and 4-2-3-1... Is sort of a little bit the four four two of five years ago. Oh wow! I know, big call, right? Big call. Yeah. And how, what a dull big call it is <laughs> in, in the context of life. In the in the you know, <laughs> t- it, if you play with the same system yeah. for a long period of time and it becomes the dominant form, yeah. then people are going to work out ways to circumvent it. It's why tactics is always both evolutionary and cyclical. Things will always change because you know and. and We've seen four four two coming back into vogue a little bit to compensate for certain aspects of how to play against very technically capable teams. So, mm. you know, that's coming back. Three at the backs coming back. Four four two is kind of caught in the middle and is looking a little bit lost. Four two three one. Sorry, four four two three one. I can understand why you get confused. It's I do get confused. just numbers after just all. Just shouting numbers. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. Wa- you wait until you have to deal with the four one two one two of the Uruguay <laughs> video. <laughs> Yeah, I'll look no, I just to call that. it the midfield diamond at oh, times. Yeah, fine, fine. Yeah. Um, well, uh, back to Russia, of course, they are through to the quarterfinals. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thought it? Who'd have known it? Uh, perhaps the Russians did. There they are anyway. Uh, they will be going on to face one of Denmark or Croatia. I believe everyone in this room thinks it will be Croatia. Um, we can talk about that after the next game, but I feel like now, Philippe, the time for us to make predictions... It's probably uh, it's probably upon us. Um, as we said earlier, no one gets the point for the first game because it went to penalties. Uh, but Croatia, Denmark, Philippe, would you like to kick us off sure. with your thoughts on this evening's game? Um, I thought when the the last sixteen was finalised, as I said to you guys earlier on, to me this is there there was only one team completely out of that whole last sixteen that was dead set to go through to the quarterfinals, and that was. Croatia. So we're going with a 2-0. 2-0. Croatia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I quite like that prediction. Alex? 3-1 Croatia. 3-1 Croatia. Oh, goodness me. You know what it's like when you're playing fantasy football and uh, <laughs> someone's leading and they've got all the best players. You have to take risks. I'm going to take a risk now. 2-1 Denmark. No, no. <laughs> uh, one... <laughs> Penalties. I don't know what to say. Uh, I don't know what to say. 1-0 Denmark. Okay. Christian Eriksen, free kick in the 79th minute. Okay, we don't get any extra points. No extra the, points, uh, but it would be amazing if yeah. that did happen. Yeah. yeah. Okay, 1-0 one, one Denmark. There we go. Uh, right, well, we will be back in a little bit to discuss the Croatia-Denmark game, and we can talk about the quarterfinal after that's happened. Well, that took a long time. Another extra time, another penalties. In the end, the result that most of us expected, but certainly not the route that we expected to see. Croatia edging it there. Goals from Mandzukic and uh, Jorgensen, apparently. I didn't watch most of the game. I was uh, working deep in my deep in my laptop. But uh, Croatia weren't great, were they, Alex? No. No. <laughs> yeah, we're all quite tired. It's two, it's two very I'd... long games. Croatia weren't very good. Denmark were organised. The change at half-time occupied 
Croatia's midfield a bit more. Yeah. Meant that when they Modric brought Tony Law. <laughs> What's his name? To- uh, Lasse Scherner. He looks I, a lot. For anyone, it's, it's I quite a niche Tony, reference. I had to Google Tony Law. I know who Tony Law is. Yeah, he look, I mean, actually, it's only a particular year of Tony Law because uh, people who know Tony Law, it's a stand up comedian, by the way, will know that he changes his appearance quite often for acts. So, so one more niche. Yeah, one specific year. Of Tony Law about four years ago. He was on Have I Got News for you a lot during that period. Was he? Yeah. There you go. Okay, maybe not so niche then. Uh, but uh, Lasse Scherner? Sh- Scherner, I, I guess, because of the umlaut. But um, yeah, so Modric and Rakitic weren't able to do quite so much, and uh, Rebic and Perisic looked like they had to drop back in quite a bit to, to defend against um, Braithwaite and uh, whoever was playing on Denmark's left. <laughs> oh, I'll let you know now, Alex, that the person playing on Denmark's left was Braithwaite oh. and uh, Poulsen, Yusuf Poulsen was playing oh, yeah. on the right there. Um, well, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Brozovic started for Croatia, as we expected him to, because they seemed to find their flow with those three midfielders, but it didn't quite work in this game against Denmark. And is that partly because Denmark were determined to be organised, sit back, try and get to... You, Perhaps not try and get to penalties, that's a last resort, obviously, but try and nick a goal, as they did in the first half. Do you think, based on the fact that there wasn't an awful lot of containing for Croatia to do, that perhaps that was a conservative start? I don't think it's conservative, because in order for Modric and Rakitic to be able to play creatively, they need to have somebody there with them. Mm. Um, it's it's a more sensible choice of midfield, uh, because when... Modric and Rakitic were a double pivot. They they were exposed quite a lot, and I think the the danger here would be that if Corneliusen or uh, Poulsen were kind of dropping into the space between the Croatian midfield and defensive line, then you'd be asking Rakitic and Modric to drop back and cover those guys, which would mean that aerial balls and stuff would be a walk in the park for those two because right. Rakitic and Modric aren't particularly great defensively. No. So it it made sense. I, I, I don't think it's conservative in the sense of it somehow thwarted their overall style. Mm. I think it, it achieves a greater balance. The conservative element came from Perisic and Rebic not getting forward enough, the fullbacks not getting forward enough. Is that is that something that would have been coached, or is that something that was just happening from personnel during the game? I, I think I think the latter. Uh, I think it was the way that that Denmark were consistently looking to hit the flanks with long balls. Uh, Simon Kier's long range passing was particularly good, um, and I think also a lot of credit has to go to Thomas Delaney, the um, Danish midfielder who worked extremely hard to close down Rakitic and Modric when they had the ball. Mm. Um, but, you know, Denmark, again, Denmark did what Russia did. They did what Uruguay did. Um, they they worked extremely hard. They were really well organised. And they took a much more talented Croatia team, man for man, to penalties, which is probably the best they could have hoped for. I, I I would have been really shocked if Croatia had not gone through this tie. And I mean, I confidently said on my on the phone to my dad earlier, "Oh, this is the one game you don't need to worry about. <laughs> this this is the one that's cut and dried." And um, and all you know, a lot of credit has to go to Denmark. Forced 
Croatia to play badly. Yeah, I don't think Croatia just had an off day. So do you, do you think this means then that your dad won't be proud of you anymore? Uh, not as proud as Peter Schmeichel was of Casper Schmeichel. Right. I mean, oh, sure. Get, get you someone who loves mm. you that much. Well, here's right? another way of looking at that. Casper uh, Schmeichel, not only did he save the penalty in extra time, uh, but also saved two penalties during the penalties. Uh, and it, it took Croatia to their fifth one without, without your... I've really hammed up. I said this a lot in a much better way during the game. But... Uh, the fact that it got as far as it did, as far down the stage, just it shows how bad the penalties were overall. I mean, it's a bit of a shame for Kasper Schmeichel because I think he was let down by some poor penalty takers. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, Kier's penalty aside, which was the one that was absolutely roofed, the old hammer roof. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think any of the penalties that were taken were particularly good. Not, by not either from side. Croatia, no. no. Um, Modric, Modric very nearly missed again. Very nearly, although we're not calling that a miss, are sure. we, Joe? Well, I don't when know. a goalkeeper saves it, it's not a miss. No, mm. no. Well, hold on though. Even because if he no, saves no, it no, because the other person. This is an interesting. <laughs> this is an interesting point to make, right? If the goalkeeper just stood still, he was just. Let's say the goalkeeper was made of stone, okay, and he couldn't move, and the player kicked the ball and it hit the goalkeeper who couldn't move and bounced off. I think that's a miss. That's massively extenuating circumstances, isn't it? <laughs> no, but let, the goalkeeper no, is... No, because the goalkeeper... Kasper Schmeichel's diving, diving to his left. The yeah. goalkeeper makes a decision mm-hmm. in which direction to move, yeah. one of which could be to stay out, where they Out are. of the way of the ball. Sometimes, yeah. if the ball's placed centrally. Mm-hmm. But which it was. Then, like with Akinfaev, like with one of Schmeichel's other saves... Yeah. The use of a trailing leg yeah. does protect the centre of the goal to a, to a degree. Sure. So that is a save. It's I, not a miss. I, I think if you kick it in the middle of the goal I think and it hits the goalkeeper, honestly, I think that's the dumbest thing you've said. I'm not trying to take credit away about. from them. I think it's a very sensible thing to do. Obviously, it's a very noble trade. <laughs> I just, I just think that's a miss. Not a. I mean, I, Modric scored it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I would categorise that as a I think a save is... Uh, That's bollocks. If it goes one way. Abs- it? Absolute bollocks. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Listen, we were both goalkeepers in our youth. Don't try and claim uh, residency over over me on that. If I were in goal, I'd say, well, you kicked it straight at me, you idiot. You missed. <laughs> you missed. I'm here. I'm in your, I'm in no. your way. You hit the target. Didn't he you? didn't know because I'm in the way. No, but oh, he didn't hit the target. Stop it. If, if it was a miss... No. It has to go in the target. There's, there's literally nobody listening to this. I mean, there's probably no one listening to this at this point anyway. People are listening. There's no one listening to this going, you're right. I don't think that's true. Hey, well, let's put it out to Twitter. If anyone is listening to this, firstly, let us know how far through the podcast we've got. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly today, it's been a rough old, rough old journey. But also, if you, like me, think that if you kick a ball directly at a goalkeeper, I think it, you, I think it's okay to say you've missed it. And then that throws off shots on target as a as an idea. So it should. I think Opta yeah. should get on the making a new stats. Anyway, uh, Croatia progress as we expected, and they're now going to play Russia in the quarterfinals, which will be an exciting game. Both teams will be exhausted. Uh, 120 minutes of football, then penalties. Psychologically, physically, everyone's broken. It's the way I like it. Yeah. So are they going to be sort of crawling around the pitch next week, Alex? What do you expect to see from that? other than them having some recovery time and uh, enjoying, you know, getting some energy th- through the food that they eat. Well, Russia have, Russia have run more than any side in the tournament. Um, 
but they didn't look massively out on their legs against Spain towards the end. And um, I, I, certain certain players did. Certain players did. Um, I mean, Zuba had to be substituted despite him being their first choice penalty taker because he couldn't walk anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but I think with Zuba that's also because he he has these constant physical tussles yeah. even when he's standing still. Yeah. Um, Modric certainly looked tired at the end of today's game. Yeah. I mean, what I don't, what what is the recovery time? They play on the tenth. No, they don't. They they play on the seventh. So they've got six days. Six days. Quite a long time. Yeah, reasonably long time. I mean, Russia will Russia will probably go for a slightly less cagey version of how they played against Spain mm. now, um, given that that worked, and also given that they will have seen how many problems Denmark caused Croatia. Well, maybe um, not. Maybe they'll go back to something and surprise everyone again. Well, no, because the 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 aspects of their attacking game with Samadov and Golovin cutting inside from wide spaces and attacking the channel between the centre-backs and the full-backs will work uh, against, particularly Vida likes to step out. Yeah. So I can see them getting some joy there. Okay. Um, and I think if, if they keep it pretty tight and, you know, Zobnin, Gerinczynski squeezing Modric and Rakitic, trying to stop them getting the ball, I, mm. I, I can see that being quite effective against Croatia. Okay. Okay. Well, it's going to be a fascinating game. Um, I think it, I think both teams will be pleased that the other fixture also went to extra time and penalties in terms of energy yeah. and, as you say, recovery time. And that sort of makes it a little bit fairer overall. Uh, so it's good for the viewers too. Uh, that'll be exciting. Tomorrow's games, uh, the first of which I believe is Mexico-Brazil. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, I, well, at first I should say no one's won a point today because both games went to penalties. Yeah. No one said that on either occasion. So the tally stays as is. Phil, a million mards. A million mards? Four, four, four points. Four points ahead. Four points ahead, okay. Uh, well, Brazil, Mexico. Alex, I'm going to begin with you. I know this is going to be hard for you because your head's going to tell you that Brazil will win and your heart might tell you that Mexico will and God knows what your penis is saying today. Uh, my penis is is firmly on the side of penalties. Right. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but I'm going to go... It's very arousing yeah. part of the sport. I'm going to go with uh, Mexico 2-1. Okay. That's what I was going to go. I should start going first because you keep taking my... Phil? I'm going to go for 3-1 Brazil. 3-1 Brazil. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to play it safe now. I'm going to say 1-0 Brazil. 1-0 mm-hmm. Brazil. And that, of course, we know is a, is a, a predicted scoreline that could, within the first 10 minutes of the game, be completely redundant. But... Uh, yeah, it depends. I mean, if it, yeah, uh, yeah. It depends if a goal is scored in the first ten minutes. Sure. Presumably, this is a great podcast. <laughs> this is great. We're just uh, we're all broken at this point. Right. Well, this is the end of day seventeen. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Mexico, Brazil, and also the other game, which Belgium. is Belgium, Japan. Thank you, Phil. Uh, and I forgot. I haven't said this for a few podcasts now, but we are upstairs at the Old Red Line. I keep forgetting to mention them. Good job they're not a real sponsor, otherwise we would have lost that <laughs> income, wouldn't we? Because uh, I'm not good at my job. But uh, we're upstairs at the Old Red Line Theatre. Do come on down. Uh, slightly annoyingly for us today, because of two penalties, we could hear a couple of seconds delay up here, mm. and we can hear people uh, cheering and uh, and screaming in ad- agony downstairs in the pub. Psychological agony, of course. Uh, But do come on down if you live in London. And uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. So thanks for listening.